Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in Your Home. We're very excited, Francis and I, to continue a series that we began. Actually, it was two weeks ago, right. Francis, because I right. took a week off. Uh, we had a happy a very, Fourth of July. <laughs> it was a happy Fourth of July, and I, I actually had a very special uh, uh, event to attend, the celebration of my in-laws' 70th wedding anniversary. Oh, congratulations to them. Um, not many people make it there. They're 91 and 92 years of age, and... Um, have known each other for just a little over 80 years. Wow. They actually went to great school together. <laughs> God so. bless them. Wow, pretty, what a testament to marriage. Situation. But um, we're continuing a series that we began on the grace of contemplative prayer. Um, and we've been talking about uh, both scriptural references to contemplative prayer, but most especially what the great uh, Carmelite doctors uh, have to teach us. Carmelite doctors and saints have to teach us about contemplative prayer. And um, we are going to continue that series today. I don't know, Francis, whether we'll get through the balance of the notes, but we're not going to rush. We'll take our time. Uh, and if it ends up being a third program, it'll be well worth uh, our time to uh, continue a discussion on contemplative prayer. So I look forward to doing that. Do you want to make any opening comments about our, our topic? Well, um, I just want to remind people that um, on our last program, we, we talked about what the word grace is, what the word prayer, how that is defined and how contemplative is defined and how we were uh, approaching it from the natural. And then today we will be getting into the more of the supernatural aspect of contemplative prayer, the infused gift from the Lord. So um, it really is helpful to listen to the program um, the, at the end of June that we did, the part one, to have clarity about the part two that we will do today. All right, well, uh, why don't we begin in the way that we begin each of our programs, since we're going to be talking about prayer. Uh, let us enter this conversation with prayer, if you would lead us, Francis. And this comes from a book by James W. Ken, The Practice of Con Contemplation According to John of the Cross. I think it sets up this conversation beautifully. It's a beautiful prayer. So let's get recollected in the Lord, knowing he's present within us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, you yourself teach me to be confident and persevering in prayer. You give this universal law. God will hear you when you pray. Most of all, you promise to give the Holy Spirit as our guide in doing your will. You do not say when you will open the door, and you do not promise satisfaction and light. But you do promise that you will do this. I trust in your promise and your spirit. Receive, O Lord, my whole spirit. Receive my body and senses as they are silent and dark. Receive my affections as they are empty. Receive my memory as it is frozen. Receive my intellect in its blindness. Receive my will incapable of action. Whatever I have and possess, I have from you. And now all these faculties are helpless and dark. Yet this darkness is my friend, for only in the dark can your faint light be seen. This silence is the way to wisdom, for only in quiet and lack of noise can your gentle voice be heard. This emptiness is receptive, for the more I see this void in my heart, the more you prepare me to fill it. This weakness is my strength. 
For only when I know that I am nothing and you are God, will you give me your power. This helplessness is my potency. For unless I know my inability, you will not help in a new way. Inactivity is my transport. For I cannot come to your light, but must be carried by you. Nothingness is my goal, for that is where new being and life begin. Give me only your spirit of wisdom and love. Then I am rich enough, nor do I desire anything else. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that is the kind of prayer a person would pray were then when they are in a transition. So we're going to start our conversation today about preparing to be receptive for that infused gift of prayer. And in that transition time, what is that like? And, and some things that we hope will help you. Well, I think for many of our readers, what you just prayed, and is that Father Kim's prayer? He wrote that himself? Yes. Yeah. Um, there is a great deal of challenge in that, in that prayer. Um, as it relates to our predisposition, how do we dispose ourselves for this contemplative encounter? The yeah. nothingness may be right. daunting for some of our listeners to hear about this idea of emptying ourselves and becoming nothing. Stillness, uh, inactivity, they, these seem to be counterintuitive to the uh, perception that we're achieving or advancing along this path. And in fact, we are, but we do so... Uh, by more and more allowing the Lord to do the work. And that means we have to back away. I'm always reminded of the scripture verse of um, St. John, who said, uh, St. John the Baptist, who said, he must increase, I must decrease, right? right? This is an important scripture verse for us in this in this conversation. And I know we're going to talk about darkness. Um, we certainly talked about it at length in previous programs where we discussed St. John of the Cross. Um, and also the idea that came out in your prayer of silence, the importance of silence. And as we've discussed, Francis, on many occasions, and as a preliminary to this conversation a few weeks ago, we talked about those degrees of silence and how deep that silence must go. It's not simply finding a darkened corner in a in a um, you know end of the hall bedroom or something. It's it's much deeper than that because, in fairness. The noise is not so much outside of us. A contemplative, a true contemplative, can pray even in the midst of the noise and in the midst of busy activity. It's an interior silence that we're going after, facilitated by external silence. Uh, but really, it's that deep interior silence. And so this transition period is basically focusing in on the period when we're transitioning from meditation, which is a human mode of praying, an active mode of praying where the mind is working, um, to this contemplative mode of praying, where, which is a divine mode of praying, where, where the soul is more passive and the Lord takes over more and more as we are open and receptive. And we have to be patient here, I, I think, beyond the obvious uh, virtue of humility, which St. Teresa advocates uh, continuously in her writings, there is the need for a great deal of patience for two reasons, perhaps many reasons, but uh, certainly for two principal reasons. One, we will feel very destabilized in this period. It is a transition, as you've said, Francis, and it leads us into an unfamiliar territory, into the desert, if you will. And so we no longer have our bearings. We're no longer sort of determining the direction or the outcome. Um, we are no longer in charge. And that in and of itself is destabilizing. And the duration 
of this period of transition is really uh, the Lord's discretion. Right. And so we don't get, as I said, to determine the outcome, nor do we get to determine when the next phase begins or when we sort of uh, find ourselves um, in that more deep, intimate encounter with the Lord. That's entirely up to Him. And He will expect us to exercise patience. He'll demand right. that of us. And the way He does so is there will be this dry, uh, silent desert experience uh, where we will, as I say, experience that sort of destabilization in the progress of our prayer. So what we want to do is um, start with how do we dispose ourselves for this um, and how you might practice a natural form of contemplative prayer in a general sense. One of the best examples, of course, is what St. Teresa of Avila taught us in the practice of recollection and what we would now call acquired recollection, because it's something we could do. But this acquired recollection will lead to this transition phase of the infused contemplative prayer. This, the acquired is because it's by, done by our efforts in response to God's grace, of course. Grace is the basis of it all. So some may refer it to as a prayer of simple regard or a prayer of sim simplicity. Um, St. Teresa tells us that recollection is the highest form of active prayer, and that is before we go into the passive supernatural prayer, and that we can make a habit of this acquired recollection. Yeah, and she gives us two um, important things uh, to help us understand, uh, two basic things, in fact, that we must uh, do to get into this state of recollection. And again, Francis, I know you and I have talked about this a lot. I remember when I was introduced to the term recollection, it was actually mm -hmm. in a prayer book uh, dedicated to St. Joseph, and it referred to St. Joseph as continuously recollected. I had no idea at that time, many years ago, what that term even meant. Right. And I had to do a great deal of research to sort of understand. And I will say, um, there's no academic <laughs> description <laughs> sufficient to uh, reveal what recollection really means. But Teresa is going to give us a little bit of a um, counsel and guidance here, and I say there's no academic e explanation. It really is an experiential thing. We must have the experience of recollection, but there are things that we can do. What first is the soul must collect together all its faculties, our five senses. So um, anything that would impact, for example, uh, our imagination, our memory, our will, or the five bodily senses that would be distracting to this idea of recollecting. That's the best way to uh, uh, phrase it. Recollecting ourselves, coming back to the center. So much of our time throughout the course of the day, and unfortunately even in our prayer life, is spent somewhat uh, scattered, as Elizabeth of the Trinity would say, uh, scattered and dispersed across many um, um, activities and things that reside in the memory, in the imagination. Uh, maybe we're thinking about a relationship. Maybe we are, uh, you know, desiring food or uh, the the. Uh, piece of music that we uh, might have listened to or particularly enjoy, maybe, you know, going through our head. We've got to recollect all of those things and allow them to come back to the center so we can focus everything on this um, um, time with God exclusively. And that leads to that second step that's a basic thing that we must do besides collecting the faculties and 
is the second thing, is to enter within itself to be with its God. So entering within. Now, St. Teresa of Avila discusses this more in depth in The Way of Perfection, chapter 28. So if you want to go in there and read that, she makes reference to um, if a, a metaphor would be like a turtle um, bringing his arms and legs in and his head in. And, and you know, you're, you're getting uh, focused within on the Lord. So those two things, collecting together all the faculties and then the second, entering within itself to be with its God. So the soul who has the sense of the presence of God within it, and we know that in faith, possesses one of the most efficacious means of making prayer. And, and let me show, share with you what St. Teresa um, says on this. She says, do you believe that it is of little importance for a soul who is easily distracted to understand this truth, the truth that God is in it, and to know that in order to speak with his heavenly father and to enjoy his company, it does not have to go up to heaven or even to raise its voice. No matter how softly it speaks, he always hears it because he is so near. It does not need wings to go to contemplate him in itself. Well, building on that, Father Gabriel, St. Mary Magdalene, who we've done a series of uh, conversations on, and was the author of a wonderful collection. If you don't have it, I would encourage it. Certainly, uh, as a Carmelite, uh, it is a a book I would strongly encourage using for guide and prayer. I I use it uh, quite frequently myself, and sometimes I'll drift away and then um, am reminded and I come back to it. But he writes in the Divine Intimacy, the prayer of recollection consists in the realization of this great truth. God is in me. My soul is his temple. I recollect myself in the intimacy of this temple to adore him, love him, and unite myself to him. You know, again, I'm reminded, Francis, of the rosary. I've uh, had the opportunity to pray my rosary for today already, and I like reflecting on the mystery where Christ is presented in the temple. This, of course, is the fourth joyful mystery. And I often use the reflection of Mary presenting Christ to us in the temple, which, of course, is our soul. And it is uh, there that we will encounter him. And, of course, the Blessed Mother, as we know, especially here in Carmel, um, is the great apostle who brings the Lord to us and helps create that, that bond, that intimacy. And so it's one, one uh, reflection I have for that particular mystery. But uh, Father Gabriel is emphasizing here this idea that we must dwell within. We shouldn't scatter ourselves. Prayer is not an external or a, uh, predominantly a physical activity, but it, it is rather an interior activity where we can encounter Christ dwelling within us. And we know this by faith. I mean, we are the created by the creator. And if he wasn't in us, we would not be alive. And we know that we are, he is with us by the sacraments. And we know he is with us by our relationship with him, his father, heavenly father. So um, just remember that as we think of all this, uh, that our, our faith is not based on, on just wishy-washy stuff, but on, on some real um, important principles. This is where the mind can come to assist us in prayer. You know, people wonder, well, am I supposed to, if, if faith overcomes the intellect or is perfected, right. the intellect is perfected by faith, does that mean my intellect becomes less important? No. The intellect is a, is a tool that the Lord uses that we can rely on to enhance our 
our faith. We have knowledge. We have understanding. We have wisdom that teaches us things. And then faith takes over and advances that. And let me give you an example uh, by continuing in our series of, uh, of notes. By practicing the, con- the style of contemplative prayer that we're discussing, we will become more and more anchored in God, which is especially needed for all of us in these very difficult times that we're living in. Uh, God is moving us away from clinging to things, to people, to institutions, and inviting us to embrace him only, to live our life for him, in him, and to live it in his church. Now, I'll say two things on this topic to to make my point. First is, um, as we see the horrific uh, events that are occurring in our country right now, I don't know Mm, when you may be listening to this program, Mm. but it is at a time when there is um, a great deal of unrest, violence against uh, police officers, and hundreds of people, uh, as many of you are aware, that uh, were arrested uh, over just this past weekend. I mean, these are very unstable times in our country. There is no political or economic solution to the problems that we face. Right. What we are fe- what we are faced with right now is the darkening and the evil resident in the in the human heart. And the only solution to that problem is prayer. The only solution to that problem is Jesus Christ. And we should not confuse ourselves or distract ourselves with all these debates about all these other political options that we believe will solve this problem. They will not. Only prayer, only grace, only the uh, intervention of our Lord into the darkness in the human heart will address these problems. And we could go on about how that could be done, but we're focused on prayer here. The second thing is an analogy that I was introduced to over the weekend, which I thought was wonderful. I was reading on um, one of the Desert Fathers on prayer, and he used an analogy. He said, actually, in uh, uh, a particular ecstasy, he experienced witness one of his brothers at prayer. And as the brother had increased concentration in his prayer, meaning this idea of recollection deep within his interior, encountering God, his soul actually increased in light and warmth and heat. Now he's watching this. And as the brother became distracted by whatever thought may be pulling him aside, the the particular monk writing this wasn't able to see what was pulling the brother aside. But inevitably in our prayer, there are things that pull us out of that center. As that happened, the heat, the light, and, and the warmth diminished slightly and then was recovered again when he regained his intensity. And the analogy he used was a poker that is placed in the middle of a very hot fire, Mm -hmm. right? And as you withdraw the poker from the fire, immediately it begins to cool, right? right? And what else happens? It begins to harden. Mm. And this is what happens to us when we fail to pray at all or when we enter prayer, but we are back and forth and somewhat distracted. Literally, God is transforming us for the time that we're in prayer and the intensity with which we pray. And this has to do with, goes to the point of this idea of recollection and living within the interior. Well, I'm sure glad you offered that for us. That's a lot of food for thought there. And I remember something I heard um, at our community meeting for our OCDS this weekend, and that is that it is in prayer where we are truly formed. We have the experiences of our life, we're learning and stuff, but where does our real formation in the spiritual realm um, occur? It is in prayer. So pray, 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 please. Um, By praying the prayer of recollection, we help prepare ourselves to be open to the gift of infused contemplative prayer. As we grow in practicing this general natural sense of contemplative prayer, like an acquired recollection, our prayer will have the tendency to grow ever more simpler, more silent, 
with fewer words. St. Francis of Assisi used the words, my God and my awe, as the theme of his contemplation, and it lasted a whole night long. One could do this with phrases from the Our Father, or or an image, or a mystery of the rosary. Um, And I, I might also add that if you want some more information on how to practice this prayer of acquired recollection leading into the deeper degrees of prayer, um, ICS Publications has a wonderful pamphlet um, which is pulling the materials from um, St. Teresa of Avila's teachings. And, you know, she's a doctor of the church, and it is called the Prayer of Recollection, and you can find it on their um, site, icspublications.org. So I invite you to go there and get a copy of that brochure. You know, I'm also reminded here, Francis, of a cautionary note. We know in Scripture Christ says, when you pray, don't, um, you know, uh, repeat many words or use many words like the pagans do, who think they will be heard by the repetition of their words. And some people use that phrase, that verse in the Bible, to challenge the recitation of the rosary or the Jesus prayer, or as we just read uh, St. Francis uh, uttering throughout the course of, uh, of an entire evening, um, his individual prayer. But what Christ, of course, was referring to is don't simply babble the words. Don't just uh, repeat them as a pattern or a rhythm or think that because you uh, are, are continuously saying these words uh, that somehow you'll be heard. What he's advocating is that we have to enter into these words. We have to actually make them part of our soul. St. Francis' words, my God and my all. You can say that. You could say it a hundred times. You could uh, um, you know, say it throughout the course of the evening as he did. The question is, do you enter into it? Does the phrase, my God, become deeper and ever more intimate for you over time? My all. Is God really our all? Are we doing what is necessary to eliminate those things in our life um, that might otherwise distract us in the midst of our prayer? And that's what St. Francis would have experienced in, in the middle of the night and late into the morning, um, when he continuously repeated this. For those who can pray the rosary, we're told Padre Pio prayed the rosary 40 times a day, Mm -hmm. 40 times a day. And you might say, well, gee, that just sounds awfully repetitious. But Padre Pio would enter into the rosary. He would actually enter into the experience, into the mystery. And that's what we're talking about. Not simply the recitation of a group of words, but using the words to slow everything down, to recollect yourself and enter into the um, encounter with the only one who really matters, and that is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And sometimes the words are so potent that just pondering them, you know, is so full that um, that fills up <laughs> a long period of time. Um, I know that has happened many times, and I can imagine St. Francis of Assisi also, you know, when when he's thinking, my God, you know, It'd take him two hours before he's even off of that one because, uh, you know, but every, you know, bring coming back to that and the fullness of that and how the Holy Spirit keeps revealing more and more. It's so beautiful. But now we want to get now to what does this transition look like? This transition from the active prayer degrees to the passive contemplative degrees. And we have a master to guide us through this. Uh, the master of this would be St. John of the Cross. Dr. Mysticus, as one progresses from this stage of acquired recollection of this simple gazing and loving, there will be a blending 
of both the acquired and the infused elements, the infusion by God, of course. The soul passes between both the human and the divine modes of prayer. And so it is in a little bit imperceptible. The gifts of the Holy Spirit operate intermittently on the soul, and that results in isolated occasions of infused contemplation. This can feel like a very dark and arid time. So you're thinking, well, I have terrible prayer, and, and you may really have a great prayer going, but, but it, it's because we have no knowledge to understand this. Uh, this is what St. John the Cross would call the dark night of the senses. So John the Cross instructs us, when God brings the soul into the dark night, in order to wean it from sweetness and to purge the desire of sense, and this is to take us further into the spirit, right? It's for our good. God does not allow it to find sweetness or comfort anywhere. So the soul, as they grow in their love of God through prayer, God then intervenes more deeply to purify us from our sins and attachments. And, and we may be very attached to consolations uh, and sweetness in prayer. God is going to bring the soul into this dark night where only the fire of faith, hope, and charity, inflamed by the Holy Spirit, light the way. So, dark, uh, Mark, can you give us a, a, a snippet about what is this darkness, aridity? What, you know, what do people feel? I know John the Cross talked about being mute and deaf and blind. It's a very scary time, and we are feeling, as I said before, uh, uh, sort of off our game. Uh, things aren't working for us in the prayer. Um, we will feel like we're lost in prayer. What previously served as a form of consolation no longer does. Maybe we found great uh, uh, consolation in the rosary, and now we no longer do. But what is happening is that the Lord, as you read, is trying to wean us off um, the, 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 the crutches, if you will, that we've used in prayer, those things that we could in the past fall back on, maybe not even as consolation, but just so I knew where I am. You know, I, I, I know where I am in my, in my prayer life. And what, what God is trying to do here is wean us off that and draw us into a purification of faith, hope, and charity. And we'll talk about that a little bit more when we come back from the break. But, um, the, the, uh, point we want to leave you with is, um, First, what Francis said at the beginning, preparation is important. You don't begin prayer here. And um, when you begin to enter this, it is good to have spiritual direction, but it is um, equally important not to be frightened by this transformation, this transition in our prayer. We'll, we'll pick up on that point when we come back. A reminder that we are listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in Your Home. We'll be right back. Can I? 
Welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in Your Home. We are dealing with, uh, Francis, I think perhaps one of the more difficult academic um, aspects of Carmel and, and the uh, charism of, of the Carmelite uh, community, the teaching of contemplative prayer, and that is this transition from a comfortable uh, human uh, form of prayer to a um, encounter with God that makes us much more reliant on, dependent on, uh, and subject to uh, God's will in terms of drawing us now. We've been moving up to this point, and we've had some active things that we've had to do. But now at this stage, God is drawing us forward to himself and um, will ask us to leave some things behind. And what we fail to leave behind most often because we're unaware of it, he will... A purge from us. He'll purify yeah. us. So this it. is a great, this is a great favor. It's a great grace, this purification, because you know, only the pure of heart shall see God. And so, um, we have some great guidance here with John of the Cross. He gives us three important signs. Now, let me, let me preface this with, 
a lot of people don't understand this. St. John the Cross has two sets of three signs, and we're going to go over both sets. Um, one set is to indicate when the soul is in the active night of the spirit. The second set is an indication of the soul's entry into the passive night of sense. So there is a little bit of distinction there. We should just say something quickly about those four stages. If somebody hasn't listened to our previous program on St. John of the Cross, those four stages, active and passive night of sense. Think of sense as the active part of what we are doing to purge ourselves, detach ourselves, remove ourselves from things that we had uh, traditionally uh, when we began our prayer life. Uh, served as consolation. They have to do with the body. They have to do with the mind. They have to do with uh, things that we experience. Exactly. The ascetical life. Yeah. Um, And there is both an active phase of that where we practice detachment and a passive phase where God will wean us from things. We may, for example, uh, lose a job. We may, um, you know, experience a physical uh, uh, illness of some kind. Um, And and this is God actively trying to get us to move past anything that we uh, feel attached to the um, night of spirit active is where we begin as francis said to remove our expectations about how prayer is supposed to work we remove um, uh, our dependency on certain devotions and certain types of prayer uh, because they are now uh, not necessary in this active phase of the purification of the spirit the most challenging saint john talks about and in fairness um, a few people get here for uh, reasons of lacking courage, perhaps understanding, uh, but mostly it is just a, a question of desire, wanting this. That is the passive night of the Spirit, where the Lord will literally purify us of all uh, those things that uh, preclude us from that most intimate encounter with Him. And this is the most difficult phase John would talk about. And I'll just put a side note in here. Mark and I have done a series on that very topic of the dark night of the soul. And I don't remember what year we've done it, but you can go to Radio Maria under the archives for Carmelite Conversations. And I know we did at least a four-part program on that. So um, if you want more information on that, um, you can find that in our archives. So we're going to start with the first set of three signs. This is the three signs to help us identify when the soul is in the active night of the spirit and that God is calling us to leave this regular discursive meditation using the mind or the affections and the reason, and then go into a more uh, simple type of prayer. And in, in order to go forward, you should have all three of these things happening, not just one or not just two of them, but all three together. The first sign is the realization that one cannot make discursive meditation nor receive satisfaction from it as before. So you're you're a little frustrated with that method, and you're not understanding why. The second sign is an awareness of a disinclination to fix the imagination or sense faculties upon other particular objects, whether they are exterior or interior. Now, this is important. We should just emphasize here. There is a distinction that needs to be drawn between, um, I'll be very blunt and say, laziness in prayer. Right, right. right. I just don't want to do that. And so you go and you sit and you say, well, I'm praying because I'm sitting and I must be in that transition. Yeah, maybe. 
Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. But just because you are, are disinclined to do the work of meditation doesn't mean that you've entered this phase. Francis is going to share with us the third sign, which is a critically important one, as, as she's already shared. You must have all three. But but be careful not to presume that disinclination uh, is, is confirmation that I've now transitioned. If you're having a bad day, you may just be disinclined to pray and use your mind actively. Um, that may not be what the Lord is asking you to do. If, however, this third sign is present, then you'll have confirmation. Well, and also on that note, Mark, is if we've fallen into sin or blindness of our sin, um, we can have this. So we have to be aware that we are making every effort not to be in sin. Right. All right. So here is the third and surest sign that a person, uh, and this is the sign, that a person likes to remain alone in loving awareness of God without particular considerations, in interior peace and repose, in a general loving awareness and knowledge. So that's the first set of signs. Yeah, so that, that's the important transition now. Again, not just that I have a disinclination to use my mind actively to meditate, but I genuinely want to be alone. Uh, I want this loving awareness. I don't want to muddle the waters, if you will, with uh, a lot of thought going on, a lot of activity going on. But I just want to dispose myself to an awareness of God, who I am made aware of in my interior, as we discovered when we when we talked about um, the, the um, description of contemplation and recollection, being aware of that interior dwelling of of the um, of the Trinity within us. So those three sets are those. Three uh, signs, the first set, tell us when we should leave this normal, discursive, meditative type of prayer. All right? Now, this second set of signs from John of the Cross indicate when the soul should practice contemplative prayer habitually. All right? So not just... Um, when the moment draws you, but now that the Lord has been inviting you, and now this should be your habitual way to pray, all right? This is the sign, the set of signs that indicates the soul's entry into the passive night of sense. Right, so one was the transition away from active Active. Mm -hmm. spirit. Now we're transitioning into passive spirit. And it's more, uh, just to clarify, this is more letting ourselves be drawn into it. These are the signs that would indicate that we're ready. So this is the focus on the transition from meditation to a habitual infused contemplation. The first sign, and, and some of these are very similar here, so um, some people don't see the distinction. The first sign is that as these souls do not get satisfaction or consolation from the things of God, they do not get any out of creatures either. He does not allow them to find sweetness or delight in anything. Now, if you want to read more about that, you can find it in The Dark Night. Um, book one, chapter nine, verse two. The second sign is that the memory ordinarily turns to God solicitously and with painful care. And here is the important part. The soul thinks it's not serving God, but falling back, turning back because it is aware of this distaste for the things of God. So you, you find yourself saying, I don't even want to pray even. Um, and that's in chapter nine, verse three. The third sign is the powerlessness to meditate and make use of the imagination, as was one's previous custom. At this time, God begins to communicate himself by an act of simple contemplation. As a result, the imaginative powers and fantasy 
can no longer rest in any consideration nor find support in it. And that's Dark Knight, Book 1, Chapter 9, Verse 8. Right. So again, just to put things in context, and I realize it's um, this is challenging material. And frankly, if our uh, listeners, uh, you know, could do a, a download with us, we'd have a, a slides up on the yes, screen, we so we can say, "Okay, <laughs> you see what's happening." But you can go and download. There's there's places where you can find these two sets of rules, um, and and I would, you know, I like having them before me and reviewing them every now and then uh, when I talk to people and when I'm, you know, working on myself as well. You know, it's good to know these things. It is, and we should also emphasize, as we have so often, Francis, that you don't have to have read Saint John of the Cross in order to be. Uh, gifted with infused contemplation right. or make it through these transitions. You don't have to be a religious either. That's right. You, That's right. I mean, this is a call. This is the ordinary call of a person on the path of prayer is yeah. to this. I'm always reminded, too, of the of the uh, phrase of uh, uh, our former pope, uh, now St. John Paul uh, II, who talked about um, the, uh, uh, you know, sort of the, uh, I'm going to paraphrase him, but the ability to make progress in prayer. So many people think prayer is an activity I engage in every day and I need to continue to do it until the day I die, but it doesn't fundamentally change. It's just the same. And what we're being told here very clearly is no, there is an opportunity to progress in prayer, to make our prayer more intimate, to make it more meaningful, to make it more fruitful. And all of the purification that Francis has walked us through, the indication of these signs as transitioning uh, from the passive night of sense into the active night of spirit, all of the transitions are purifying the soul. And why does that matter? For a host of reasons, individually and for us personally. But for the church, what matters is that the purer the soul, the purer the prayer, the more efficacious the prayer. Right. And the more that can be done for the church and for society as a whole. And we said a moment ago, as we look at our television screens and we listen to uh, radio or maybe we get our news on the internet and we see what's happening in our society, and we we said very uh, directly, there is no solution to the problems we face as a society other than the purification of the of the heart and the soul. And that will only be done through the intervention of those who pray. Now, those who aren't praying, aren't actively praying, either they're grasping for these political solutions or they're just totally um, um, dumb to the idea of prayer, uh, will not be able to lift themselves up. But those who actively inter- intercede for them will be able to do so, and they'll do so to the greater degree that their own souls and hearts have been purified through this process. So these are big stakes we're playing with here. Absolutely. So mind. don't delay. You know, um work on how how is it that the Lord is calling you to progress in your prayer? If you're praying the same way today that you did 10 years ago, then, you know, I have some serious questions about that. Uh, we should be uh, making some uh, headway in our relationship with the Lord and our intimacy with the Lord such that we would be open to his purification who, who wants to bring us to himself. That's the thing. And so this... Uh, Infused contemplative prayer draws us into the heart of God. So this is a dark time. This is a transition time, and things are not like they're used to. And we're people of of habit, and we like things to be familiar. That's when we're secure. So, you know, this is an insecure time. This is why it's important, as Mark said, to get some spiritual direction, get someone to help you through this, to to guide you along. But... um, uh, James Ken, in his book, The Practice of Contemplation According to John the Cross, which is an ICS publication, I highly recommend that, gives us five points of encouragement. Number one, 
This simple prayer of faith is an integral part of the development of prayer. It's natural and it's necessary. Secondly, he goes on to say, this is the only way to be prepared for the rest of the journey. We must first become deaf, blind, mute, empty, and helpless in terms of all of our natural faculties. Only then will we be perfectly open and receptive to the transforming grace of God. And that's John the Cross's words right that, there. That is, right. He's, those are in quotation marks. I should have, I should have made that clear. Um, and I said in the beginning when Francis prayed the prayer from Father Kim, this is a difficult challenge. But I remind you, um, even our Lord himself said, suffer the little children to come unto me. We must all become little children at this phase of our prayer life. Deaf, blind, mute, empty. These don't sound like particularly encouraging uh, attributes for us to adopt. But the fact of the matter is we must be deaf, blind, and mute to all of those things that are outside of our encounter with the living God, outside of our encounter and intimate um, experience of Jesus Christ. That's what he's referring to. Don't try to uh, muddy the waters, again, I'll use that phrase, uh, by dictating where this prayer is going at this stage, the Lord is taking over. I think this is where we get the nada, nada, nada from John the Cross. The nothing, exactly. nothing, nothing. Go by a way of nothingness. You do not know, right? Yeah, we right. do not know the way, but the Lord is going to take us to the way. So the third point of encouragement is the negative part of this experience, this failure of our reason and our will. It's connected to the positive part, which is the new action of God and his immediate presence within the soul the negative one appears only so that the positive one may grow yeah and john points out again um james ken says john points the way to where we are going so that we can at least rationally see the light at the end of the tunnel even though it seems like god's presence is imperceptible at certain times god's new kind of presence will increase slowly tenuously eventually surging up from within the depths of our being so we are not going to see that light immediately but um, we have the benefit of our intellect, we have the benefit of the writings of fo- uh, folks like uh, James Ken, and we have um, spiritual guides and directors, hopefully, that can help us be convinced that, yes, that light is there. We must keep moving. The one thing Teresa Avila would say, the quickest way to get over the issue of not praying is, is to, to pray. start praying. <laughs> <laughs> and to stop praying is to go backwards. <laughs> yes. All right, so that leads to the fifth point of encouragement. The one virtue that is most necessary during this transition phase of all time is total trust in God. Our fundamental stance, and this is a quote from John of the Cross, our fundamental stance before God is one of poverty of spirit in all of the spiritual life. That is, we cannot depend on anything of our own, not our own efforts, merits, or good works. We are simply nothing, empty, dependent before God. It is only this poverty of spirit that makes us totally open and receptive to God's grace. So John the Cross is identifying the spirit of poverty with the darkness, the emptiness, and the detachment, and, and even, I would say, the powerlessness. So then, so that's the encouragement, all right? To, you know, you got to forge ahead, and you got to have courage. St. Teresa of Avila tells us how important courage is to this uh, growth in, in the spirit. So what are we supposed to do when we're in this spot? All right, here's the advice. <laughs> Hang on. First of all, persevere patiently in prayer in a simple loving attentiveness to God. 
without trying to force yourselves to say anything or do anything or feel anything. And don't be attached to feelings, please. Our only effort is to remain at rest and quiet and love. We do little more than wait and watch in love and endure patiently. We deliberately refrain from sensible images, using the imagination, rational thoughts, and affections. Here's, the, here's where it really sums it up. We freely commit ourselves to this inner austerity of prayer. I can think of the desert fathers there. Inner austerity of prayer, which is the only way to reach God in this new way of prayer. Now, we realize here that we are blind, deaf, mute, and cold, like John the Cross said. This sense of void is the immediate preparation for God to fill us in a way he never could if we still depended on our own natural faculties and reasoning. So the greater our hunger, our thirst, the emptiness, the more we can turn in trust to God. That is the thing here. So now we have a couple of Things we got to caution, though, here. Yeah, I I would just capstone that uh, previous section by saying one of the most important things for us here is to stop trying to figure it out. You know, stop analyzing. That's maybe a better word is stop analyzing what's happening. We're even told by St. John of the Cross we shouldn't be trying to discern exactly where we are in this uh, uh, transition. And, in fact, you can go forward and come back. Uh, at various times in your prayer life, depending on circumstances that may be evolving in your in your uh, worldly life. But uh, the important thing is don't try to figure it out. Don't overanalyze it. Practice faith. Practice patience. Practice perseverance. And Those love. are the main things. And love. Look and with love. love. Teresa says, I don't, make you, I don't ask you to think much, but to love much. There are some uh, potential misunderstandings, cautions that Father Ken wants to give us to uh, help keep us. I always use that analogy, Francis. I know I've said it before of the uh, bowling ball. You know, for children, they put the bumpers on either side, right, to keep make, make sure the bowling ball stays down <laughs> right. the alley. It may go left, it may go right. It might not be very effective at hitting pins, but uh, just keep it in the alley. And this is what we're trying to do is keep ourselves in the alley. We don't want to go into the alley next door because that's not our alley to play. <laughs> right. so, so when the soul is being called by God to this transition from a natural mode of prayer into the supernatural mode that we've been discussing, uh, while it is a sign of progress in prayer, it is not a sign of perfection. Right. Rather, it's a deeper intimacy and a call to greater perfection, a greater conformity to God's will. One should not feel superior to others if some of these things begin to manifest themselves in your spiritual journey. Um, it isn't somehow a distinguishing um, you know, mark and, and uh, something we should feel proud about. That would, of course, set us back. Uh, we shouldn't feel superior. In fact, uh, uh, to, to those who practice vocal prayer, because Teresa Vavila said that um, some of those in her uh, Carmel who did nothing but pray the Our Father with great intensity were raised to the very heights of contemplation. Right. We um, this this would be a red flag, in fact, if we were to uh, watch for the devil sowing spiritual pride in us, and that was one way it would manifest itself. I must really be on my way because look what's happening. As one grows in prayer, the soul in inevitably grows in humility and there's almost a reluctance and expectation that we can't be experiencing these things because we're not worthy of them so humility is the fruit 
So for one growing in prayer, that is what should be seen. And you should recognize it in yourself if your prayer is growing, humility growing. And you'll be tested in that regard. Oh, you'll yes. have plenty of opportunity where you'll think you're humble and then somebody will come along and frustrate you and uh, <laughs> you'll find out that. Uh, and you'll have new opportunities <laughs> to practice humility, right? Yes. All right. Secondly, the loving awareness and experience of this interior peace and quiet and repose that St. John the Cross refers to are not the degree of transforming using. You know, some people will reach this point and they think, okay, I'm in Seventh Mansion. I'm, I've, this is transforming union. No, <laughs> this is your, your first initiation into supernatural prayer. St. John of the Cross tells us the initial stages of infused contemplation are almost unnoticeable. It is more delicate and subtle. It takes time for the soul to reacclimate and detach from familiar ways of praying and to trust in God's leading. There may indeed be experience of aridness, dryness, dryness, and darkness even during this time. So most people don't understand that in this transitional state, it is good to simplify your prayer and simply relax in God's presence. Feel his gaze upon you. He's looking at us all the time. You know, many souls fear they're becoming lazy because they're not using their minds or their hearts in their prayer. They fear they're, they might be backsliding. So when the soul is called to this interior peace, the soul should not resist God's call because this is a very normal and very advantageous spiritual development. When, when we know this in advance, this helps us to avoid a great deal of trouble and it makes us progress more quickly. So St. John the Cross is the master at helping souls to recognize and work through this transitional phrase. And if you're a little, uh, maybe you've tried St. John of the Cross in the past, and by try, I mean you've read him and you find him a little off-putting, a little uh, too challenging, uh, difficult to read. I, In my own experience, that was true of me in my 30s in attempting to read St. John of the Cross, and I really didn't understand. It was many, many uh, years and experiences later that I was able to return to him and Really, literally, it just sort of jumped off the page at me. But it is good to use uh, interpreters. Now, I would recommend Carmelites principally, uh, but but uh, those who have written about St. John of the Cross and will bring it into uh, perhaps a more approachable uh, interpretation. And then it's always good at some point to go back to St. John of the Cross. There are masters available to us beyond uh, St. John himself. Well, I wanted to put in one more quote of John the Cross before we end our program here. It's from the Living Flame of Love, Book 3. He, he encounters us by not turning back in the embrace of something sensible. It goes forward to the inaccessible, which is God. And why is this? Because remaining in quiet and tranquility without struggling for thoughts or ideas will result in the purity of soul which is a greater benefit. You remember, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Well, Francis, before we close in prayer, I want to just do this quick, um, you know, sort of table-setting exercise of uh, bearing, helping our folks bear in mind the, this progression in prayer that we've been ta- talking about. The movement from vocal prayer to the discursive mental prayer or meditation, use of the mind, use of imagery, to more affective prayer, that which is more interior, then to the prayer of recollection or simple prayer, then uh, prayer of quiet, passive prayer, and then on to the supernatural degrees of prayer where we've spent most of this uh, hour together 
uh, in conversation. So that's sort of a migration of the various stages of prayer, somewhat simply presented here. Um, and we will, in fact, be picking up on this very topic again next week because uh, we have a great deal more material to share here, Francis. Right. Um, and I want to just encourage our listeners, uh, do go back if you're uh, finding yourself a bit challenged by some of the, the um, uh, phrases that we're using. Go back and look at some of the early programs on St. John of the Cross, and I, I think that will help uh, provide some backdrop to it. All right, we have this closing prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Sweet Jesus, you abide in the Father as we are to abide in you. Your life is holy in God as ours is to be in you. Remain in me as I remain in you, as I remain in his love. Without you, Lord, we are nothing. We surrender totally to you and depend on you. We fulfill our whole human life and become transformed in you. Jesus, we trust in you. In the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, Just a reminder that uh, this uh, July 16th, of course, is the Feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, a feast day that we take... uh, a great joy in, and we encourage you, whether you're a Carmelite or not, uh, to join us on that day. It's a Saturday. Um, attend Mass, uh, get enrolled in the scapula, pray a rosary to our Blessed Mother, Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Um, it's a very special day for us Carmelites, so we, we wanted to bring that to your attention. A reminder, though, that you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in your home. Until we're with you again next week, God bless.